Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Maffedon. Thanks for tuning in. The annual Martin Luther King Jr. Day Breakfast fed bellies and passions as guests remembered the legacy of Dr. King and contemplated the meaning of democracy today. Powerful voices from Boston Arts Academy set the tone of the 54th annual Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Breakfast. The anticipated morning reunited faith leaders, politicians, educators, community leaders and students at the Boston Convention and Exhibition Center to hold space for Dr. King and his resounding message. I think the significance of honoring Dr. King is important because of his life, his work, his ministry, there are so many things that he advocated for beyond just a utopian society where black and white could live together, but he really spoke to some of the deep injustices that were rooted in this nation and trying to undo those injustices and playing on the moral fabric of this country. It's so important as we continue, you know, to recognize and to uplift Dr. King's legacy. I mean, he is a person who really talked about all of us, right? No matter your background, no matter your economic um, structures that you come from, that in the end, if we're going to lift everyone, then we all have to care about each other and really showing empathy. And I think that is what we need more than ever at this point. The city's diverse youth led the way with talent and academic achievement, which was recognized in several awards and scholarship presentations throughout the morning. As guests meditated on our nation's climate, marked by growing violence, intolerance and political division, they felt the weight of Dr. King's example in renewing his dream for our times. In this day and age, it is so important that we embrace what Dr. King and the Civil Rights Movement brought to us, because it, it was an attempt, and a good one in that, to bring us closer together. We're polarized. We're at each other's throats. And it seems that there doesn't seem to be any bottom to this. But what, what Dr. King was preaching and what he was using as part of his ministry and work is something that is tried and true. And it will definitely resolve the issues in front of us. The legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King is one in which it not only unites people individually, but also communally. As a person of faith, he went beyond the simple day-to-day -day rules and regulations, but also brought together the people within different cities, particularly in the city of Boston. And we're trying right now in order to further his legacy and continue that, that not only a struggle, but also the right way. Everyone has the needs to determine, you know, what's their mission in life. Uh, it would be just wonderful if more of us understood that we need to work and make sacrifices for others in order to make sure that equality happens around the world and in our country. Martin Luther King understood that and very early on concentrated his efforts in making sure that life was better for all. A fire underscored speakers' words as they considered the year's theme, keeping the promise of democracy and what many see as a pivotal election year for the United States. People very often will be laudatory about the fact that Black folks will wait in line for hours to cast a ballot. And that we have outworked and outorganized voter suppression. Resilience, black resilience, 
is overrated. It should not be that way. All around us, we have sobering evidence that gains are not guaranteed. We need to reflect on our past, revisit King's blueprint for radical change, and fortify ourselves for the urgent fights ahead. This is no easy task, but it is an imperative for us all. Dr. King reminds us that we must be inspired by progress, even as we recognize its incompleteness. We can bend the arc every day towards justice, but all of our hands have to be on it. Dr. King's call is more than a call to action. It is a call for an unbreakable solidarity, recognizing that all of our destinies are woven together. Today and every day going forward, we must embody this call with our actions, this crescendo urging us to be drum majors for justice, who march boldly into a future where beloved community is not an illusion, but a tangible and daily reality. Dr. King's beloved community requires the work and vigilance of all of us. Although there are new hills to climb in 2024, we must persist. Boston, of course, has a special place in the King family story. Both Martin and Coretta attended school here and fell in love. Here's a look at the Museum of Fine Arts and what they did to celebrate Monday. We act as a place for which people can interact with art, um, can experience coming together as a, a means of convening and um, of, of respite, of being able to have their minds um, expanded through a variety of different art forms. So the Boston City Singers will be performing here at the museum um, and they will be performing a repertoire called Freedom and so they'll be using inspiration from Dr. King to be able to um, sing about his legacy and um, I think for the city of Boston but also for our country the legacy of Dr. King um, needs to live on. I think the a uh, legacy of advocacy, of um, celebration about identity, about freedom. All of those aspects are things that we as a society need to continue to remind ourselves and to, uh, to celebrate. I think also his passion for the arts is something that um, needs to live on as well and so we celebrate that here at the Museum of Fine Arts. City leaders and organizations gathered at Boston University to start a dialogue on how to improve the city of Boston at Civic Summit, the first from the city. On Saturday, the great minds of Boston came together to collaborate on building the city's future at Civic Summit 2024. Over 200 attendees, including civic leaders, activists, and community-focused organizations, filled Boston University's Howard Thurman Center for Common Ground at the inaugural event hosted by the Mayor's Office of Civic Organizing. So the idea of the Civic Summit is to bring neighbors together 
out of their own neighborhoods into one space where they can network, get to know each other, make those connections, and really strengthen what Boston is about. Uh, oftentimes, we do a lot of work in our own communities without understanding and knowing uh, what other people are doing in their communities, which is also um, work that enhances the same goal. So we want to bring all these neighbors together so that they can really talk to one another. I'm really excited to be able to meet people that I haven't worked with before um, and to be able to learn from what they're doing, be able to learn from their ideas and also be able to see how we can potentially collaborate in the future because it's really important that we're not working in silos but that we're really thinking about different problems holistically and finding different ways to stay in touch and work together. The theme, Community Over Everything, encouraged a full day of meaningful conversations as guests fostered connections across neighborhoods and organizations by sharing their individual work. With Ranked Choice Boston, uh, we really believe in the uh, power and strength of coalition. Uh, our coalition is uh, over 25 organizations strong, and here you know, there's a lot of uh, folks from all across the city, uh, departments and uh, organizations working on all different types of various issues, and um, you know we really believe in uh, learning from other folks. Um, we wouldn't be where we are if it wasn't for our coalition. So um, we're always looking to expand and to learn more from other groups. Summit attendees learned from a series of panel speakers covering sustainability, mediation, funding, and training of the next generation of leaders. With Mayor Wu championing the collaboration of powers that will further lift up Boston in her fireside chat. Connecting means coming together, building a real bond and relationship and, and seeing yourself reflected in the experiences of someone else. And as we, I get the opportunity to see citywide all the different challenges, but also incredible work that's happening. And there are a lot of common threads that if we can make these connections, we'll be able to empower people to do even more together. Well, hopefully today, people from Boston, the residents who are activists, will learn from each other is what's going on in the neighborhoods, how we can make things better. Particularly in the Fenway, I would like to connect with other activists, understand what they see are the problems on the ground and what we can do together to create more affordable housing, to improve things like traffic and safety. That's what we're looking for. When groups are meeting together and woven together, it's an ability to um, collaborate on issues that we see across Boston. Um, it's, the, it's the catalyst to solve big, big problems, is getting together and collaborating. The mayor's remarks touched on how Bostonians need to come together as one job, meaning family in Mandarin, to create a harmonious city that provides the highest quality of life possible for all its residents. People actually coming together and feeling like they're connected in the well-being of this block being connected to that block, being connected to that neighborhood way over there, you know, as, as we perceive our city. I really believe that all Boston has to do, you know, we, have, we know what to do, we have the resources, we have the activism un, unlike anywhere else in the world, but once we come together as one jia, right, one home, one, one family, um, that, that's when we're going to be really unstoppable in, in proving what an, ev anyone everywhere can do. Boston Public Schools have started a groundbreaking project to upgrade a Roxbury Charter School to the next level of STEM education.
On Wednesday, Mass General Brigham and Boston Public Schools announced the newest upgrade to the Edward M. Kennedy Academy for Health Careers with the help of Bloomberg Philanthropies. The over $32 million grant will transform the college preparatory and vocational high school into a state-of-the-art educational facility, one that gives students opportunities that no other public charter school in Boston can. This program is going to allow those students to be almost in the shoes of someone in a position in any of the five pathways that are going to be available at EMK in nursing, as a surgical technician, as a medical imaging technician, lab technician, emergency medical services. And for that typical 14-year-old starting in ninth grade, they will have the opportunity to see a path in front of them for what a career in healthcare looks like. We're excited to welcome these students, excited to be part of the process of doubling in size the EMK Institute, welcoming them to our two nationally ranked academic medical centers, Mass General Hospital and Brigham and Women's Hospital. Pipelines like these opportunities are a phenomenal jump, jumping point for, for students who are interested in healthcare careers because they are typically uh, needing to invest 12, many decades of, 12, 12 years, if not more decades of their lives to reach an opportunity to take care of people, whereas uh, pathways like this only take a couple years for people to get to where they may want to be or even pursue other careers in healthcare, and it's just a great jumping point for many of these students. In the wake of the COVID pandemic, the healthcare industry has grappled with understaffed hospitals and a lack of new recruits to healthcare teams. The EMK partnership with Mass General Brigham is bringing hope to healthcare providers through its pipeline of students. It's a huge win for young people who will have more options upon graduation, whether it be pursuing higher education or immediately entering well-paid positions that align with their career concentrations. But it is also that some students may find that they are more attracted to after being embedded in these healthcare settings that we offer in something that is more patient-facing. Others may find they are more interested and intrigued by things that maybe relate more to laboratory science and research. That's a different pathway. So I think having the ability to expose individual students to a wide variety of possibilities, some of which are patient-facing, some of which are not, some of which are in between, it just broadens the kind of thinking you have around what does it mean to have a career in healthcare. So all of these career pathways are exciting, but they will position students for future success. Basically, there's 2,000 openings at Mass General Brigham, and most of them are in the medical field. And if we are able to, to provide the resources and the support for our young people so they have the exposure and choices, that is our job as high school leaders in the medical field. So we are super excited about the partnership. We are excited about the opportunity. And, it, and most importantly, we are excited about the choices that kids will have in their junior year. In the coming years, in partnership with Mass General Brigham, we will be able to double the size of the EMK to serve 800 students. We will add new pathways in some of the most in-demand career tracks, including surgery, medical imaging, biotech, and medical lab science. And we will offer work-based, hands-on learning with summer and after-school placements, career counseling to every student. What all of this means is that with their skills in hand, 
EMK students will be directly embedded at Mass General Brigham throughout their education and especially afterwards with on-ramps and direct pathways so that EMK graduates will have the choice in front of them to choose between continuing their education in this field, benefiting and, and, and uh, ramping up into exactly what the city needs, or going straight into a good paying job at Mass General Brigham and serving their community right then and there. Frank Lowenstein is the Senior Director of Climate Culture Boston at RARE, an international organization that inspires and empowers millions of people and their communities to protect our planet. Frank focuses on programs promoting climate positive behaviors in the greater Boston area. He came to the studio right before the holiday to discuss the green transition through the SHINE initiative and how Bostonians can better care for our climate. Uh, so I'd love to begin with COP28, uh, also known as the 28th United Nations Climate Change Conference. It happened uh, this November through uh, December 13th in Dubai. Uh, what were some of the trends from the conference and what do you make of them? Well, it was really, really interesting to, to watch. This, this was the first conference of the parties, as it's called, of, of the convention, the UN convention. They've been happening since 1992, since the Earth Summit that established the climate treaty. So for 31 years, we've been trying to phase down, phase out fossil fuels, reduce the problem with climate change. This was the first time that this question of like, should, should the, the world's countries call for phasing out fossil fuels? Should that be the call? This was the first time that was debated, really. Wow. Um, they ultimately didn't use that language, which I think was a lost opportunity. Um, what they said is we need to, you know, quickly reduce use of fossil fuels. Same, same difference in the near term, but it sends a different message in terms of the long-term goal. And, you know, countries and corporations that are considering like major investments, you know, do you build a new gas pipeline uh, or do you build a giant solar development, you know, they're looking at those long-term signals. There's so much of what makes up our society today that has a lifespan of decades or, or sometimes even 100 years, like the bridges to Cape Cod. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, those long-term signals matter, and I think it was a little bit of a missed opportunity that they didn't say, we're going to phase out fossil fuels, we're going to have a modern, comfortable, uh, dynamic economy that doesn't require burning like tens of millions of year old plants, um, which is what fossil fuels are. You know, the accumulation of photosynthesis over you know, millennia of millennia. So, mm. and bringing it to a more local level, can you speak to the the progress that Massachusetts is making regarding climate innovation and its 2030 target goals? Yeah, so Massachusetts is one of the states that has very, very ambitious climate goals. Um, there's been consensus on those on those goals across multiple um, multiple governors and therefore multiple parties. Um, Governor Healy seems particularly committed, and I'm really pleased about that. Um, Massachusetts is is um, you know our goals for 2030 to cut our our emissions in half are super ambitious. You know, think about that. That's only seven years from now. A car that you buy next year is maybe only going to be halfway through its lifetime by then. Mm. Um, so, you know, the, 
the goals are ambitious. They require an all of, all of government and an all of society approach. It requires all of us to come together to help meet those goals. And you know, why should we do that? We should do that because climate change is such a threat to each and every one of us, to our, to our future, to our children's future, to our grandchildren, hopefully, uh, hoping for grandchildren someday, uh, to their future. You know, so we, we need to come together as a, as a culture, as a society, uh, as residents of Massachusetts to make a difference. And I'm, I'm really pleased to see the government trying to do that, trying to lead that effort. And I'm pleased that here in Massachusetts, it seems like the business community is, with, is right in on that. You know, the, there's, there's, there's momentum. So it's great. Mm. And on December 1st, the state's Office of Climate Innovation and Resilience, they actually released the very first Massachusetts Climate Report card. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about some of the most important findings from that? Yeah. Um, so to me, personally, um, first of all, I thought it was great that they issued the report card, that they are trying for that transparency about how are we doing towards the goals. That's, that's crucial. And they identified some weaknesses, right? That we haven't, uh, you know, if we're going to get rid of fossil fuels and we're going to reduce emissions, we need to quit burning them. So, you know, where do we burn them? You know, we burn them in gas stoves, in gas and oil furnaces that heat our houses, um, in cars, obviously, in buses, mm. um, in trains and planes and ships. Uh, so, the, the report really articulated that, you know, in terms of shifting off of some of the home-based uh, burning, like for, for, um, for heat, we're not doing as well as we need to. You know, the, the choice, the, the, cho the mechanism of choice to heat your house is really an electric heat pump. Mm -hmm. They've gotten so sophisticated, so reliable, they can handle the, the coldest weather we're going to throw at them now. And, um, you know, they're a lot more comfortable even than a gas-fired system is typically. So um, that's where we need to go. And the, the state wants 100,000 heat pumps installed by 2025. Huh. Um, it's almost 2024 as we sit here. Right, and, we're getting very close. Yeah, so, um, you know, that's a very ambitious goal given that we haven't gotten as much in as we need to. Um, so I think it calls for how do we all help the state get there. Um, and then the other thing that I thought was notable is they have a whole section on climate equity and justice, which I think is super important, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. But what was interesting is that section said, well, we really haven't established any metrics. We really don't know how we're doing in mm -hmm. terms of that. So that's, you know, that's a clear need for the future, too. We need to, we need to make sure that climate solutions, which tend to be cost-saving, are available to everyone. And we need to make sure that we are not driving, as we drive towards a fossil fuel future, we don't want to make, have a situation where the people who are left holding the last gas furnace, paying for the full costs of the last gas pipelines, are the um, poorest and marginalized communities among among those here in Massachusetts. We need it to be an all of society approach. Mm. And speaking of climate solutions, um, I'd love to 
talk about the work that's currently happening at your organization, Climate Culture Boston at Rare, uh, specifically the Shine Initiative. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I'd love to talk about that. It fits right <laughs> in. Um, so Rare is an organization that works on behavior change. And we uh, have identified a number of, of climate positive behaviors that we are trying to work to help people to adopt. Um, and you know, if you look at behavior science, what behavior science says is that we do what's expected of us, what we see other people doing, and um, you know what appeals to us emotionally. So um, those are kind of the tools that we bring to the table. What we're doing in Shine is we're taking these climate behaviors that our that our climate research says are the most impactful, and we're saying how do we use those to raise up disadvantaged communities, historically marginalized communities, you know, as an anti-poverty strategy. How do we put these behaviors together so that instead of addressing climate change being an economic drag, like the, uh, the oil sultan who headed COP uh, was caught on tape saying, instead of it being an economic drag, it needs to be our economic future. So we're really looking in shine to bring together uh, job training so that people, young, younger people can participate in the green energy future, uh, bringing together signing up for community solar, uh, which is available to everybody in Massachusetts, but very few people know about it. Um, and it can save 10, 20%, maybe more on your electric bill. Making it more salient, making it more s the sense that this is happening by getting community solar facilities built in in Boston, in Dorchester, in Roxbury. Um, and then finally, uh, once people are spending less on their electricity, how do we make it easier for them to electrify more things in their life? Can they electrify their car? Can they electrify their heating system like we just talked about? Um, can they, you know, what do you do with an e-bike? My 83-year-old mother-in-law got an e-bike. She's like biking all over the place and biked 15 miles with my partner and myself this summer. And I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> I'm getting an e-bike in 20 years. That's so, very impressive. Yeah, I was, yes, I was impressed. So. So what are some of these uh, climate positive behaviors that Boston residents can adopt? Sure. Um, well, we see more and more electric vehicles on the highway all the time. There's really strong incentives for them in both the Federal um, Inflation Reduction Act that passed last year, uh, as well as in the, um, uh, in the state laws. Um, so, you know, there's up to $11,000 of incentives sitting there to help you buy a $30,000 car new. Now, a lot of people can't afford that still. But there's also now incentives for used electric vehicles, and that's new, and that makes a huge difference because some of the some of the vehicles that qualify for that are not that expensive, and the state and the feds uh, between them will give you, I think, I think it's $5,500 towards uh, a used electric vehicle. So mm. electric vehicles becoming more common. They're fun to drive. They take less repairs. That's a that's a choice for some people. Now, for a lot of folks in Boston, may not have a driveway, right? And street side charging isn't very available yet. So there's, right. some, there's some pieces the government needs to do or private industry needs to do to make it easier for people to do that. 
Um, second choice is get solar. You know, if you can get it on your roof, if you happen to be lucky enough to own your roof, great. Hmm. You know, there's lots of reasons people can't get solar on their own roof. But community solar is available to everyone. Massachusetts is a leader in it nationwide. Um, we have some of the most installed community solar capacity in the whole country. And it's available to renters, it's available to condo owners, it's available to homeowners. Why wouldn't you do it? You can save money tomorrow. It takes about five minutes to sign up. Before we close out tonight's show, we want to give a special shout out and congratulations to Ayo Edebiri, a Dorchester native and graduate of the Boston Latin School, woo woo woo, for winning a Golden Globe and an Emmy this week for her amazing performance on Hulu's The Bear, where she was the first black woman to win Outstanding Supporting Actress in a comedy series. Her hard work and natural talent represents the heart of Dorchester and proves that uplifting women of color can create art that reaches people of all walks of life and encourages more diverse characters on screen. Congrats, Sayo. Thanks for tuning in, Boston. That's our show for tonight. For BNN News, I'm Faith the Maffedon, and I'll see you next Friday.